You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lormax. And I'm Micah Hunt. And we are the hosts of the aforementioned podcast. And we come to your ear holes once a month to teach you and learn with you uh, about politics and pop culture things. But first, we'd like to get started with a little recap on our months that have passed because we are not recording in the same room. We are still separated, not by oceans this time. Mountains? Would mountains and... Mountains and fields. Plains. Yeah, Yeah, that would be accurate. Uh, I'm in New York. Micah is in Vancouver. And Micah, how was your October 2021 in Vancouver? Um, It was pretty great. Uh, Very Mm -hmm. busy. Uh, Watched uh, a lot of movies, which we'll talk about Mm -hmm. later. Um, I um, am, as of recording, when when this podcast goes live, Mm -hmm. I will have submitted my master's thesis. What a feeling. We can add like a little clap sound effect in here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't have access to that, but we will look into it. <laughs> we, will, we will see what we can do. So um, freaking happy for you, Micah. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, uh, less excited to enter into uh, the real world of uh, getting a job. Um, but for now, bask in the, the success. Yes. Revel in that accomplishment, Micah. That yeah. is amazing. What a fantastic October. How was yours? Also busy. Yes. Um, also pretty busy. I had a friend visiting um, who used to live in New York and no longer does. So that was a fun start to the month. We just hung out a lot, went to a concert, had a couple nights out in the East Village. Really fun times. Um, I went to see Japanese Breakfast that I mentioned last podcast. Great mm-hmm. concert. So much fun. And I also went on a little fall trip to New England, hopping around Mass and New Hampshire and Rhode Island and doing all the fall stuff. I went to Salem. I picked a pumpkin. I came back to New York and we drove a little car kind of upstate and I picked some apples. So nice. I'm kind of all falled out at the moment. Uh, I know Micah and I both thought it was the end of November for some reason. Oh, we did. Yeah, we are fully ready to call this the November 2021 episode. So I think officially after this month, I'm I'm ready for Christmas. Like I'm ready for the Christmas vibes. Mm-hmm. Done a lot of fall, but definitely been a good month. Uh, Michael, you mentioned you watched some movies, but normally I start talking about reading things we've read this month. Mm-hmm. Did you squeeze in some books? There? I actually read a lot this month, um, and I'm yeah, hoping to read even more. Um, now that you're uh, master thesisless or yeah, thesis yeah. full, I guess. I am thesis it. full, it is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I read I was thinking about I just finished a book this morning and I realized I read two books, two romance novels this month, um, mm-hmm. that feature protagonists um who have autism. Mm-hmm. And I thought I've been trying to expand the representation of um that I, of books I'm reading, and so that was really interesting. They're called um the Heart Principle and um, Act Your Age, Eve Brown, which is in the Brown Sisters trilogy. Oh, yes. We've um, talked about that here before, right? I'll put the names of those in the description. But the book I wanted to talk to you about is um, not a romance, very different. 
Um, it's Lester by Raven Leilani. Um, Ooh, I've read this was, too. So you have to amazing. Yeah. Um, it was one of the big debut novels from 2020. Um, it kind of fits into the the covers like all the other covers from books in 2020. <laughs> um, so it might have been maybe you might have missed it. Um, I don't really know how to describe the book. It kind of I went into it not knowing a lot about it, and the plot kind of unravels before you in a way that is both deeply engaging but also deeply uncomfortable. Um, Roxanne gave gave this book four stars out of five, and her review just has, I'm really glad I'm my 20s are over, which I think is the vibe of the book. Um, it's about Eddie, a Black woman in her early 20s, who's um, scraping by in her low-level position at a New York um, children's publishing company. Um, and then she meets Eric, who is uh, uh, older and married and in an open relationship. Um, and it, things kind of go from there as you learn more about her and see their relationship unfold. Um, I would call it like a stark novel, um, and I think it really does a wonderful job as an outsider of capturing the challenges, but also joys of being a young Black woman in New York. Um, and I think it does it without trying to, it, it does it in a way that people write about white people. It's just like the way that the world is instead of trying to demonstrate like how an other person exists because mm. that's, it's just about like a lived experience and I really enjoyed reading that because I think it it is not how a lot of um books that pick, get picked up by publishers that are written by um black women necessarily right they're catered often to mm. a white audience and I really felt like this novel was not yeah I think that's a definitely very fair observation unfortunately I didn't personally love this one mm -hmm. I'm more of a plot centered person and this one is like much more of a character study yes. where a lot of not, not a lot physically goes on but there's a lot of internal monologuing and thoughts and I did find a lot of those like very fascinating I think for me I'm just so much more of a plot person so when there was these like very interesting observations about like things on Twitter let's say I was like cool but I might like I personally prefer reading that in a nonfiction piece about it it's just yeah not particularly my thing very well written though and I will uh oh, say yeah. that so if I you're more of a character focused person you might really love it oh yeah for sure what yeah. about you um Oh, I read an amazing book um, this month, Micah. <laughs> uh, it's called After We Collided by Anna Todd. Nice. I am obviously kidding. Um, last month we spoke about me going to see the third movie in the After series, After We Fell. And just to recap, these are movies that are based on books that are based on fan fiction about Harry Styles in which he's like an <laughs> awful person but they have like just changed the names and clearly his personality because by all accounts Harry is lovely and Hardin Scott in these books is a nightmare um, <laughs> but 
the books are actually more bizarre than the movies. And when I was in New England visiting my friend earlier this month, we started listening to the second one as an audiobook, as a bit of a laugh. But I I just have to keep reading it when I came home or keep listening to it because I they're just insane. Like to give you an example, the second in the second movie. Um, her mm-hmm. Tessa, the main character's long lost father, turns up at the end as a hobo. Um, but the book, like, that's already how crazy, like, the, the mm-hmm. movies are. The books are, like, next level. They take everything from the movies and then you realize that they were originally born in, like, an even more wild idea. And I just forgot <laughs> how insane fan fiction could be. Like, it's been a while since I've been on Tumblr reading One Direction fan fiction. And mm-hmm. I, like, forgot that they all are, like, just the most insane scenarios. Like, I'm sorry I'm not being more explicit, like, because the stuff that is in these scenarios is explicit, and I don't want to get our podcast, like, banned for being pornography, which it would be <laughs> more into this. Um, I will say the book is told by, from two perspectives, so Harden and Tessa. The male reader for Harden is awful. Like, oh, when, no. when he reads Tessa's, like, dialogue parts – as like a woman, I'm genuinely offended. Like it's <laughs> offensive. The voice that he because it's like a British man, but then the voice mm-hmm. he puts on to play like an American teenage girl is like offensive. Like that's all I can say. <laughs> offensive. Um, I'm absolutely having a riot reading it though. It's a lot of fun. Right. And yeah, go for it. <laughs> um okay, on to those movies or things that are on screens. Tell me about them. Why did you watch in October? Um, so this month, uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so we watched a bunch of movies, but one of them um, is The Worst Person in the World. And it is definitely my favorite from the movies we watched at VIF and maybe one of my favorites of the whole year. Um, it's so good. It's a Norwegian film about a 20-something woman navigating who she is essentially and doing that through careers and relationships um it has one of maybe my favorite movie openings of all time um as it kind of really sets up her character in a really interesting way um and it definitely one made me want to go to oslo um and two i spent maybe like three or four days debating seriously whether or not to get bangs because her <laughs> their bangs in this movie are just beautiful um and they you watch them bangs? grow up no they're like nice straight across oh like a little official zoe de chanel bangs mm-hmm. we've had um, a lot of discussions privately about what counts as bangs we and did. we have determined that zoe de chanel's like straight across bangs are like the ultimate but we do respect curtain bangs in this house we do um so that was great would recommend yes um kind of like a dakota johnson-y kind of bang oh yeah um she looks very much the main actress looks so much like dakota johnson yeah they're Um, really similar looking very great movie the other movie we watched um that i really loved was arrival which came out eons ago um in preparation for dune coming out which i still haven't seen but we'll see this week um 
we were watching Denis Villeneuve movies and Arrival is his movie about first contact with aliens. Um, and it stars Amy Adams, who plays a linguist who's trying to communicate with those aliens. Mm-hmm. And um, it's beautiful. The soundtrack is amazing. Um, and I could not stop thinking about it afterwards. Um, with that and Worst Person in the World, I think that like it just has some really interesting thoughts about I memory language but also like how the world faces emergency and mm-hmm. it has a much sunnier uh, maybe uh <laughs> disposition about what the compared to what is currently happening um but i really loved it and so if you didn't catch it when it was like one of the biggest movies of the year catch it now for sure it's a good recommendation Micah. i might take you up on those do you like a little bit of alien so mm. that sounds fun um I also watched a lot of movies this month, specifically Hallmark movies. Like, I think I watched oh, – I watched too many. I probably watched, like, five or six in one weekend, actually, while I was in wow. New England. My friend and I just love our Hallmark movies. But I wanted to discuss the French Dispatch a little more because it's one of the most highly anticipated releases of the year, for me specifically. Um I saw it in theaters, which still feels like a novelty. Like, I still Mm. feel I have to say I saw it in theaters. And this is actually the third Wes Anderson movie I've seen in a cinema. And I think they've all had, like, very specific circumstances around Mm -hmm. them. So the first time would have been Grand Budapest Hotel, which um, I took two buses and a train to get to because I wanted to see it on opening day like in Australia, I had to see it on opening day and I couldn't wait till it would get to our local cinema. So I took two buses and a train and then I did a photo shoot in a graveyard um, beforehand nice. because it was like 2014 Tumblr-y times and I like just needed to get that hashtag content in. And that was in Australia. And then I saw Isle of Dogs with you, Micah, mm-hmm. uh, for my birthday, my 21st birthday in Boston, like nearly four years ago now it can't Crazy. no it's not is it three no. three yeah 2019 three and a half oh my lord i don't like that i don't mm-hmm. like I mean, that <laughs> oh my gosh um and then this one i just saw on a little date night in new york city on probably the rainiest day that we've had um this season so it was a bit of a track to get to as well. But if you don't know, The French Dispatch is, as I mentioned, it was Anderson movie. And this one is a collection of stories from the final issue of a French magazine, obviously called The French Dispatch. And I actually like didn't know that it was an anthology before I got there, but I really liked it. I thought it was a really cool way to explore different narratives and perspectives and the performances in it are great and I think it looks very Wesy, very Wes Anderson-y if you're familiar with his movies you obviously know what that <laughs> is but I think it was very Wesy in a way that didn't feel inaccessible and it had so much heart like I teared up a little bit there's there's a lot of heart to this one so as soon as you can go see it please do I know you all Micah you love oh I'm seeing it next week I think there's so many movies coming out this week that um you have a long yeah but that's probably the only one I will see because um (laughs) I don't go to the movies that often it's because I like need to eat the popcorn and like have 
a frozen Coke at the movie. Like I need the ritual of doing that. And I just can't be doing that all the time. Like that's I, very expensive. It's true. It's very expensive. And I just like cannot make myself eat popcorn that often. Like I'll, it will, it will put me off popcorn for life. And I don't like that because it's too delicious. So got to make them special. Got to make them count, you know? Mm-hmm. What about listening? What did you listen to in October? Mm, I've been listening to um, a new to me band group, not new to this world, um, <laughs> called Freestyle Fellowship. Um, I've been watching Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix, which is a docu series about the history of hip hop. It's um, it's about the history of American hip hop, but it's made by a group of Canadians, um, which is interesting. One of them is Chad, who's if you are Canadian you know who he is if you are not you don't it's the canadian music effect um but freestyle fellowship is i can't remember what the episode is called it's the episode on 90s hip-hop um they came out of la um and they started in this health food store in compton that used to have open mic nights um and then it's super cool they have really cool footage from it in the documentary um and they kind of come out of a response to kind of the gangster rap of that era. So think like um, NWA and stuff like that. Um, and they have a really cool style of rapping. And what I really love about it is it's very much jazz inspired. So all the music is very jazzy. Mm. Um, it kind of their voices incorporate like into the trumpets and um, other instruments. It's just very cool um, if you like jazz at all and hip-hop it's like a really interesting melding of the two um so that's my eclectic listening this month that is very unexpected but very appreciated thank you for that micah um especially because i don't really have anything to offer this is like a listening section maybe i'll just throw it back to after we collided i am technically listening to it so politics time politics time (laughs) welcome to politics um this month uh i want to talk to you about a hunger strike that's happening in the u.s right now which has not been getting a lot of press and so i thought we would uh put some of that into the world um so currently in the u.s there are five young climate activists there are between the ages of 18 and 26 um, who are staging a hunger strike outside of the White House. It's been going on for nine days now, I think. Yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, Sorry, and- you guys can't see, but I just made like the most, like my jaw hit the floor. I was like, yeah. nine days? I can't, nine I days. So like 90 minutes. That's very impressive. It's very impressive. And they're uh, striking and not eating um, to push the Biden government to actually realize their climate change uh, goals. Um, And this is all happening in the midst of the current American um, push to get the budget uh, passed. And so we're going to talk about that, um, about them and what legislation they want to see happen. So all of this centers around the Build Back Better agenda, which if you follow American politics, you probably have, like, heard of a little bit. Um, It's the central promise of the Biden campaign and was announced, the, like, full plan that is a three-pronged plan was announced um, 
right before his inauguration. Um, and it's the plan to bring the country back after COVID. And the better part of the Build Back Better plan, in part, has to do with real chain, um, climate change action. Um, it's modeled after, but is really a scaled-down version of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. Um, but what's really interesting is that despite the fact that it is less teeth than the Green New Deal, way less money, um, way less intense action, um, it's the Build Back Better plan has been really supported by radical progressives and activists like the Sunrise Movement, um, who the hunger strikers are members of. Um, and basically what they want to do is they want to make Biden stick to his word because um, he said he would do it and it's kind of unclear if he will. So currently in the Senate um, and in Congress in general, they're trying to pass the Build Back Better Act, which is the realization of this plan. Um, and they need to pass it before October 31st, 2021, or the government runs out of money, um, <laughs> which would be bad. And you might have yeah, been like... I don't love the sound of that. No, no, no. We kind of want the roads to continue to be paved and mm -hmm. people to continue to be paid. Um, so you might have as an aside, have heard about the family leave aid stuff that they've been debating. So like paternity leave, which mm. the right has been mocking a lot recently. Um, that is part of the Build Back Better Act. I think in May, we talked about the politics of childcare. Um, mm. And if you want to listen to that, that's there. Um, it doesn't go into huge detail about this act, but it goes into the politics in general. The like central piece of legislation that the hunger strikers are interested in and are fighting to keep is the Clean Electricity Performance Program, or CEPP, or CEP, potentially. I don't know how people are pronouncing that. Basically, it's one. there's multiple climate strategies within the bill, but this is kind of the keystone piece of it. Um, and it has the goal of reducing emissions. So what it will do is it'll force all electric utilities, so like all electricity that's produced in the U.S., to be powered um, by 80% non-carbon sources by 2030, and then 100% by non-carbon sources by 2035, mm. um, which is like really big. Um, yeah. The bill uses fines for companies that refuse to who can't meet that and mm -hmm. subsidies for companies who can um to try and enforce the policy and it's the only policy that has to do with the climate in the act that actually punishes people who are polluting all the other policies are incentives right um so this is kind of a reason why it's contentious right it's currently, it, it's a matter of debate, but a lot of people say that without um, CEPP, um, we can't, the U.S. can't meet its 2030 emissions targets, which is to reduce emissions by half, um, huh. which is a lot. Um, and yeah. it's kind of a matter of debate. Some people say that this bill or this part of the bill, um, the electrifying America part, mm. will only be only represents 33% of 
the carbon reductions um, that would be covered by the bill. Right. Um, I mean, still a lot. It's still a lot. And it's yeah. also noted that, like, the Build Back Better Act currently will not help, like, will not meet the 2030 goals. It'll get mm. close, but it won't actually Good, meet okay. It. Right, well, um, you know, we gotta do what we can do. Yeah, I mean, like, at the end of the day, any reduction in emissions is good. We should fight for the most possible. Yes. Um, so I think in context of, like, greater climate policy, we can think of this bill or this policy to make electricity powered by non-carbon sources as an equivalent to carbon taxes, which are kind of oh. the other popular solution. Yeah. Um, countries like Canada, Germany, Italy, China, and California, and American states of California and Washington already have a carbon tax, but they're kind of, they're popular among the Republicans, some Republicans who believe in climate change. Um, not super popular with Joe Manchin, um, who we will talk about in a minute. Yeah, and I remember kind of, in Australia, it was, like, very contentious when... Oh, it they're was, really contentious. It was brought up, like, maybe, like, 2011, 2012, and it did not go over well. Like, I think it's, it's like, an example that people use of, like, how not to introduce it, um, which is, like, weird because... I feel like maybe if it was brought up now, it would be more popular. Like, it's attitudes have changed so much in the past 10 years towards things like climate change, but it was, did not go well. Oh, yeah. Well, this happened in Canada, too. So when the carbon tax was introduced by the uh, Trudeau government, the Mm -hmm. conservatives hated it, um, did not want any part of it. In this most recent election, Aaron O'Toole, the head of the conservatives, um, one, acknowledged that climate change was a thing, which is... (gasps) a low bar um and then introduced yeah he introduced his own type of carbon tax which was Mm. everyone said was not worth it but then he but it did show he was on board which was not the case before yeah it's interesting how things change but yeah hopefully the Um, u.s is there yeah so the u.s (laughs) wants to use this other plan because as we know um tax is not incredibly popular in general in the u.s Mm. Um, it's not the way to sell something. You could be like uh, so in- Connor Roy and run on the platform of abolishing <laughs> taxes. He probably would have done yeah. that well if he was allowed to continue that. But I know. Brief success. Too bad, chat, you guys. Yeah. We, we'll talk about that in a future episode for yeah, sure. For sure. Um, so this CEPP plan. Um, was part of the original bill, but is now completely gone from it. Um, And that's for a lot of reasons, but mostly just because of Senator Joe Manchin. Um, So currently the Democrats have only 50 seats in the Senate, which is half Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. Senate. And then the only reason why they make up a majority is because Kamala Harris is the vice president and she breaks any ties. But that means that Every single Democrat has to vote on party lines for them oh, to pass anything. Okay. And Joe so this Manchin. This guy's a Democrat. This guy's a Democrat, a centrist oh, Democrat. Okay. Um, so he has an enormous amount of power because every vote is necessary to pass anything. Mm. Um, and he lays at the center. And um 
he is not one to want any sort of climate policy in general because he Ugh. has huge ties to oil and coal. Oil and oh. coal. Um, okay. Okay. Most of his donors are in the coal business. Um, ah. His son works in the coal business. Um, and West Virginia is one of his defining identity characteristics is that it's coal country. Hmm. So he really does not want a bill that will tax uh, or fine um, yeah. uh, anyone who uses coal to power their electricity grid. Um, so he's he's very against it. What is interesting is that 17 companies in the business, including BP and Shell, support this provision to fine. Oh. Yeah. Well, what um, would they do if coal, if like non-renewable energy sources became like obsolete essentially with this? Well, so BP and Shell in particular obviously are still huge polluters, like mm. use a lot of um, oil or distribute a lot of oil, but are working to move towards um, green energy. Oh, like, okay. Okay. They're trying to transition as companies. Right. Okay. So they can um, funnel people into those arms of the business then. Yeah. And also, I think um, they're smart and they know that some climate policy needs to happen. Mm. Um, and this is the climate policy that they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Is it yeah. a little bit? It might be because oil isn't used to power electric grids, um, but coal is. Mm. So that could be part of it. Um, but yeah. So in general, um, Senator Joe Manchin, along with Senator Kristen Sinema, who is also a Democrat, she's from Arizona, and has also been very obstinate in getting anything passed, have worked really hard to scale back the Build Back Better Act. So that's the climate stuff and the family stuff. Um it was originally a $3.5 trillion bill, and now it's looking more like $2 trillion. Which I wish those numbers were the... more tangible to me. Like, I wish I know, they right? more, but... Um, I, what it means is, like, um, so in the family stuff, they had five different prongs of the family um, plan, aid plan, mm-hmm. and now they're only going to be able to do one of them, and they have to choose which one. Okay, well, that feels very tangible. Okay. Yeah. Um, huh. And it's unclear what they're going to choose. Um, in this climate case, they're going to get rid of one of the biggest parts of their climate policy. Freaking Joe. Freaking Joe, Joe and Kristen. Kristen, is that her name? Yeah, I think it's Kirsten, actually. Freaking Joe and Kirsten. <laughs> this is what the podcast has devolved into. <laughs> Joe. Um, yeah, they really suck. There's a great, well, we'll post this on the Instagram. Timothy Chalamet posted a meme comparing Joe Manchin to the villain in Dune. Oh, so. that's okay. Because I didn't yeah. know able to understand his meme. Now I get his meme. Yeah, you get the meme. Thank you, Timothy. Yeah. So one of the hunger strikers, um, Kytus Gurma, um, has a great quote. 
um, that kind of sums up why they're striking in this situation. And he says, we elected Joe Biden and the Democrats, and we demand their commitments to climate justice to fight the climate crisis. We demand Joe Biden stand up to Joe Manchin to deliver on his agenda. We demand the first piece of the Green New Deal. Yeah, I want these Joes to battle it out. Yeah, more than they are currently. Mm. Um, Another piece of context for this bill is that um, all of this is happening kind of in the shadow of the COP26 meeting that's happening in Scotland in, in November. So we talked about COP24 like eons ago in December 2018. <laughs> 2018 when we were little babies. Yeah. Um, that episode's called The Poland Climate Conference and then and Netflix Christmas Movies. Um, <laughs> if you want to <laughs> go listen to that. Oh. Um but COP26 is, like all the COP meetings, a um, meeting about the climate policy. That's where the Paris Climate Agreement comes out of a previous COP meeting. Um, it's where they meet every year. And this year is incredibly, it feels really important because it comes a year after we've seen the really tangible effects of what climate change will do. And we've all lived through them. And the IPCC report has came out this um, fall about the urgent climate action that needs to happen, mm. like, now. Um, and there's this huge worry that um, if the U.S. doesn't arrive with a solid climate plan, um, that they won't be able to convince anyone else to join in um, and also try and reduce yeah. emissions. Um, because Joe Manchin actually, when confronted about this, so that the U.S. has done enough, and like actually, it's China and India who need to reduce their emissions. Oh well, that's freaking convenient that yeah you can say that, um, isn't it? And it is true that like we won't stop climate change without China and India participating. But you can't convince them to do anything if you won't do stuff yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Emma, I think her it's pronounced Jovia. Mm-hmm. She's also one of the hunger strikers, and she said that. She won't let Joe Biden send a message to the world that he is willing to give up on climate because I know that the American people and young people across the country and across the world are terrified and that they're ready to fight. And I think that really sums up kind of the moment that this is all happening in. Mm -hmm. So the hunger strike. Um, It started on Wednesday on October 20th at 8 a.m. Five activists all started to hunger strike together um, and it's still happening currently and they say they will strike until their demands are met. So a quote from The Guardian um, says that Gurma, one of the strikers who we quoted already, um, said this hunger strike is a proportional response to the scale of the climate crisis and that it is here now and not a problem of the future. Um, He said, hunger symbolizes what we're starving for and what we deeply need in this moment. And it also shows the possible future that Biden is making really possible if he doesn't start fighting for us. So not only is it a way to like try and get people's attention, it's also a representation of what a world without climate action would look like. Because it is true Mm -hmm. that many people will go hungry if we don't do anything about climate change. This hunger strike is part of a bigger movement, obviously, the climate movement, but specifically the Sunrise Movement. Um, And in the past... Um, They have blockaded the White House um, with uh, House members like AOC, Cori Bush, and Jamal Bowman. Um, 
And in this current moment, as they're trying to push climate um, action in this bill, they've also held rallies outside of Kristen Cinema's house in Phoenix, and they confronted Joe Manchin on his yacht. Which oh really yeah, of course he's a freaking on. yacht. I'm getting a really good picture yeah, yeah, of this yeah. dude. Oh yeah, I love that he's um, like I have to defend the people of West Virginia or or regular Virginia. I can't remember which one. Um, <laughs> West Virginia. I have, to, I have to defend the people of like West Virginia because they are like humble coal people. While you're on your freaking yacht, okay, I don't think you really care that much. It's a very weak excuse for this. Yes. Um. That that is how he looks on his yacht. Um, this the hunger strike they're doing also is in context of other hunger strikes. Obviously, there's a really big history of them, um, not just in um, America. The one I think of is like the hunger strikes that happened um, during at the White House during the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. is like a image that comes to mind. But also, you think of um, hunger strikes that happened. Um, in Northern Ireland. Or in Northern Ireland. Um, but specifically, two weeks ago, there was a hunger strike of German climate activists. Um, and they were trying to get an audience and a real discussion with the German Green Party, who recently... Um, I mean, the German election hasn't been figured out, but they might assume a certain amount of power. Mm. Um, and... That strike ended with one of the strikers being admitted to hospital. Um, Their demands are really simple, the current hunger strikers. They want the full climate plan that was originally introduced in the Build Back Better Act, so that includes the CEPP. Um, And they say they will continue to sit outside of the White House and starve until that happens. Um, Gosh. There's five of them. Um, mm-hmm. So we talked about Kytus Gurma, who's 26. And then there's Emma Jovia, who's 18. Julia oh, and em- 18. Emma Jovia is still in high school. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, Julia Paramo, who's 24. Abby Levy, who's 20. And then Paul Campion, who's 24. Um, I really like the quotes that I found from um, Paul Campion. He said, I'm hunger striking because I want to live in a full, beautiful life without fear of climate, of the climate crisis. And I want to have children. I want to play with them in the park. And I want to have a commu- community dinners where I invite my friends and family over and we sing and we have a bonfire. That's the future we have if Joe Biden will side with the people and deliver on his agenda and actually fight for it instead of siding with ExxonMobil executives who are trying to get his climate agenda and trying to prevent any significant federal action on climate change. And I thought that was really powerful. It really speaks to like why young people care so much because it really Mm -hmm. is just like every aspect of our collective futures that are at stake. Um, The five climate strikers have been joined by other people who are are hunger striking um, around the country Oh, wow. um, some of them for the whole time. Other people have been striking just, or not eating for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, uh, all five of them are in wheelchairs. Um, and Kaida's grandma actually went to the hospital on Saturday. Because um, you have to eat. Like, it's very dangerous not to. Yeah. So what does the future of this mean? 
Well, we're going to find out on October 31st when the bill passes um, what actually gets, or hopefully passes, what actually gets put into the bill. Um, and yeah, there's a GoFundMe page for the Five Strikers, so that will pop in the description. And that's to cover their housing costs because they've been, they're not from D.C., um, and their support teams, and it also will cover, because it is America, any medical expenses they incur if they have to be hospitalized. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's really sad that these young people have to do this, mm. um, like they shouldn't, but I think it's also really inspiring to see real like climate action and activism. Well said. Hello, Editing Micah here with a few updates from the day I'm editing, October 31st. The first is that um, the Build Back Better Act has had its deadline, or the budget reconciliation is another word for it, has had its deadline extended to um, uh, for a month, so we will not know the conclusion of this currently. The other is that Paul Campion, one of the four uh, hunger strikers, has decided to end his hunger strike. Um, he, in the quote we read from him, talked about the future he wants from climate action. Um, and unfortunately, hunger striking was so detrimental to his health that that might have endangered that future for him specifically. So he has stopped striking and will move to support the the four other hunger strikers who are continuing on. The final update is that Joe Biden is currently at COP26 without a final climate plan in place. Um, the Build Back Better Act is currently a mere $1.82 trillion instead of its original three, and we'll see what it actually looks like whenever it does finally get uh, approved by everyone. So yeah, that is the updates. tack a little bit we are moving on to the pop culture segment of the show and this month i thought i would do a little deep dive into british girl group little mix because they have been in the news a lot and i have been talking to some people who don't know them very well i'm not sure if i i can't really think of the reason for that i know they were a very big deal in ireland but probably not quite as big a deal in Australia and then maybe they're a big deal to a slightly younger audience in the US still trying to figure mm-hmm. that out a little bit but <laughs> like uh, are you familiar with Little Mix um not as like I know kind of sort of their history and I know a few songs mm. some of their songs are kind of political yes okay okay so you're you're it. in the realm yeah the thing is like in the UK they're like the biggest freaking girl band like since the Spice Girls or something crazy like that so you know you think about how intimately we all feel like we know the Spice Girls or how big a presence they have felt in our lives and to me at least like Little Mix are not that but I think there's definitely like a a Mm -hmm. group of people out there where they absolutely are so they've been in the news a lot lately for some uh various controversies and I thought we would just do a little deep dive into it so starting off let's tell everyone about Little Mix like who are Little Mix as I mentioned a British girl group consisting 
or originally consisting, I should say, mm-hmm. of Jade Thurwall, Perry Edwards, Leanne Pinnock, and Jesse Nelson. And they were formed on the X Factor in 2011. So that was a year after One Direction were formed on the, mm. the X Factor. Um, and they became the first group to ever win the show. Wait, and did One Direction not win the show? No. See, this oh. is... Yeah, even to kind of, like, make a direct, a, a, like, comparison, the presence that, like, One Direction have had over our lives yeah. feels a lot bigger than, mm-hmm. than Marvel makes. No, One Direction came, like, third. Uh, oh, so, weird. Yeah, but we do not talk about the people who came first and second a quarter as much as One Direction. They were definitely no. the breakout stars, probably, of that series ever. So since they, Little Mix, won the show, they've gone on to release six studio albums. They've had five UK number one singles. You might know, shout out to my ex. That was a very big deal in my last couple years of high school in Australia. Uh, They had Black Magic, Hair, Woman Like Me with Nicki Minaj, definitely a few big ones. And they've broken a lot of records, especially for girl groups and as I mentioned before, widely regarded as one of the most successful of all times. So going into the members a little bit, there is Jade, who is 26, and she is of Middle Eastern descent. And she was actually bullied for this growing up um, a lot, which prompted her to suffer from anorexia for five years. And she is also known for being a prominent supporter of the LGBT community and has had multiple other business ventures outside the band. So, for instance, she opened up a cocktail bar in her hometown. We also have Perry, 28. Uh, She is white and she – this might sound weird that I'm, like, listing everyone's – ethnicity to start with but it will come back later on so (laughs) perry is white she has had also a lot of her own business ventures um particularly like sponsorship opportunities uh like being the face of various brands she was engaged to zane from one direction and no way yeah yeah they were engaged for a little while there he had a tattoo of her and everything Mm. and since 2016, she has been with footballer Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, and they actually had a baby boy just this August. So Aww. just a few months ago. Very cute. Then we have Leanne, who is 30, and her family hail from Barbados and Jamaica. And she is really well known for her activism work fighting racism. Um, she's released a documentary discussing racism in the music industry. And she actually has launched a charity with her sister called the Black Fund, which supports other charities um, doing work, uh, particularly with the Black community in the UK. And she is engaged to a footballer as well, um, Andre Gray. And they also had a baby this August. Actually, they had two babies. They had twins. So a lot of little mixed babies this year. Yes. And then we have Jesse. 30 also white and she honestly her experience in the band is one of the things that stands out to me most when I think of them she has had a long battle with body image and was bullied relentlessly for her appearance um, as part of the band so Mm -hmm. she actually made a BBC documentary called Odd One Out where she spoke about this uh, struggle with body image she would talk about how she would like starve herself before TV performances and then later uh, binge eat. She said that abuse from online trolls on Twitter drove her to attempt suicide in 2013. 
And um, in August 2021, so just this year, she told uh, The Guardian that, you know, since she was very first on the X Factor, she's been trolled and has actually been um, diagnosed with an eating disorder and therapy. And things kind of got worse um, towards the end of her time in the band. So she said that she was often dressed differently from the other three members of the group because her body didn't lend itself to the outfits that were chosen for them. And then after the COVID-19 pandemic, or I should say like after the quarantine period and that, they were supposed to be shooting a video and she had gained some weight and did not feel comfortable filming and decided to go on a drastic diet without getting results and was actually hospitalized as uh, during that time and she ended up having to leave the group so she left in December 2020 due to struggles with her mental health and wanted to take some time out to um, really work on that which the other members of the group were very supportive of and I think the people who were not mercilessly trolling her were also very supportive of it was very clear for a long time that jesse was quite vulnerable and was facing Mm -hmm. a lot of truly horrible criticism um and i think that was i really applaud people who make decisions for their mental health like that so that was in december 2020 more recently it's become apparent that jesse wants to move into a solo career so maybe that's like a, a more positive space for her which is also totally understandable I think there is like when people leave bands so for instance the aforementioned Zane when he left One Direction um, for mental health reasons as well people thought it was kind of strange that he was doing a solo career but I do think they're two different things um, Mm -hmm. and maybe people feel they have a bit more control as a solo career so whatever her reasons are like that I, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive in early August this year, she actually wiped her Instagram and announced that she would be releasing a solo debut single called Boys featuring Nicki Minaj. So mm. Nicki, as I said, was also on a Little Mix song, Woman Like Me, uh, previously. But unfortunately, um, this song is just not that good. I I, mm. I think it was really highly anticipated and a lot of people wanted it to be really good, but It uh, interpolates P. Diddy's 2001 song, Bad Boys for Life, um, in the verses. And the video is like virtually a shot-for-shot remake of that video. And then P. Diddy also appears in the new Jesse Mm. Nicki video. Uh, Laura Snapes, who is a critic for The Guardian, um, described it really well. I think she does definitely recognize that Jesse is like, clearly quite a vulnerable person and doesn't want this to be a pile-on but mentioned that the former little mix singer's long-awaited debut is a farrago of incomprehensible lyrics and queasy tropes that undermines her self-help journey oh no yeah so laura snipes also said that the song is like all offensive and she said that it fetishizes men who are quote so hood, so good, so damn taboo. And the video shows Nelson and a coterie of black men and women terrorizing a nice white neighborhood. So that, the essence of the song itself definitely drew a lot of criticisms. Um, but a really big one that came out of it was concerns about 
blackfishing. A lot mm. of listeners and viewers of the video pointed out that um, her accent and seemingly darkened skin tone seem to be a form of blackfishing, which is obviously when white people attempt to make themselves look black or racially ambiguous, usually involving tanning, makeup, or hairstyles associated with black culture. So Jesse like denied these allegations. She uh, spoke recently with Vulture and said, I love black culture. I love black music. That's all I know. It's what I grew up on. She said she's very aware that I'm a white British woman. I've never said that I wasn't. Um, they have actually reached out to her after that profile again because these like uh, um, allegations were growing and growing. And the statement that was given from her was, I would never intentionally do anything to make myself look racially ambiguous. So that's why I was initially shocked that the term was directed at me. But broadcaster and cultural commentator Zizi Mills had a lot to say about this in a recent Instagram video. Um, she pointed out that Jesse looks basically the same complexion as Nikki in the video and that this is evident of white women understanding the power of looking racially ambiguous in this current climate. So Zizi said that she's wouldn't even necessarily call this blackfishing. It's more about appearing racially ambiguous and brought up the topic of colorism. So the lighter complexion you have as a black woman, for example, the more privilege you would have in spaces like the music industry. Mm -hmm. So this is where we get more little mixed input. Leanne, um, if you will remember, was um, the also 30-year-old member of the group who recently had twins and is um, a, a black woman who has spoken a lot about racial um, inequality in the music industry and really fighting for racial justice. She actually liked this video, um, which mm. people noticed. And later, an influencer named Nohan claimed they had received messages from Leanne suggesting that they, Nohan, make a video about Jesse being a blackfish. Uh, and then they also claimed that Leanne sent messages saying that Jesse had blocked her and the other two little mixed girls on Instagram. So this comes after people realized that the three remaining members of Little Mix don't follow Jesse anymore and that Perry's dog doesn't follow Jesse. That should be noted as well. Damn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, questions are brought up about whether there was an unfollowing or a blocking or what really does explain this lack of following. Now, there are no confirmation that these messages are legit. We haven't confirmed that Nohan is actually sharing legit messages from mm. Leanne, but that has fueled the next part of the conflict. So Nikki and Jesse did an Instagram live video together where things got a little spicy. So to give some recent background on Nikki... <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> she's coming up a lot. Um, she I want really to go all back to her, but um, I think we need to give her some context in this current moment. So, as I mentioned previously, she did feature on Woman Like Me with Little Mix in 2018. So, she has a history with the band. She married her childhood friend, Kenneth Petty, 
in a very controversial move because he was mm-hmm. convicted of attempted rape in the first degree in 1995. Um, the victim, Jennifer Hoff, alleges she was sexually assaulted at knife point in 1994 by Petty when both were 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So he then faced federal charges in 2020 for failing to register as a sex offender in the state of California. And in August this year, uh, Jennifer Hoff actually filed a lawsuit against both um, Kenneth Petty and Nicki Minaj for alleged harassment and alleged intimidation for her to recant her account. So she is alleging that the couple have been pressuring her to say that this was all made up and that it didn't happen, which you're obviously not supposed to do. Um mm-hmm. And she actually gave her first on-camera interview in September. This is Jennifer uh, speaking about the lawsuit, which is coincidentally around the same time that Nikki revealed she would not be attending the Met Gala due to the COVID-19 vaccine requirement. And she also didn't attend the music video awards. Mm, yes, I it? believe you're correct. Yeah, which, yeah. Um, some people online were saying was because it was very close to a Chuck E. Cheese, in which case her husband wouldn't be able to go because he's a registered sex offender. Um, this is unconfirmed fully, but was a, a meme that was going around. Lord, Lord. Yeah. Oh, um, so whether it's the uh, convicted sex offender husband or the unvaccinated status. If we go to the unvaccinated yeah. status, she did tweet about that, um, <laughs> claiming yes. that she wanted to do more research and quite hilariously claimed that her cousin's friend in Trinidad suffered swollen testicles, became impotent, and had to cancel his wedding <laughs> as a result of the vaccine. I'm like, nah, girl, he has just been uh, cheating on his fiance and got like gonorrhea or something. Um a lot of memes ensued yes. about that allegation and the information was widely debunked. In fact, I think the White House reached out for her, to her and were like, if you need to ask us any questions, like, please do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So did this all happen before the Instagram Live? Yes, this happened all oh, in okay. September. <laughs> in September. But I just wanted to give a little background as to I mean, apparently, like, the filming and the production of the song was delayed because of, like, all this kind of controversy. So I do find it interesting that Jesse Nelson chose to go forward with a song with Nicki Minaj at this time because she's mm-hmm. not a very popular figure in pop culture right now. So then in October, the pair go on this um, Instagram Live where um, Jesse does defend herself Again, against the blackfishing accusations, she's saying that she wasn't wearing spray tan, but had instead been to Antigua recently, um, and that she has naturally curly hair. Um, I will let the viewers or the listeners view a picture um, of her in this video and make up your mind on the sincerity of that. Uh, Again, it's not up to me to say I'm not a member of the black community. Um, but those allegations have not just been made by uh, haters. They have been made by members of the Black community. But Nikki chose 
to defend uh, Jesse against the black fishing uh, accusations as well, seemingly by taking aim at Leanne. So uh, Nikki, who is no no stranger to conflict uh, with fellow pop stars, said, as soon as people can't get a bag with you, they tend to want to stop your bag. In my opinion, if I was rocking with you for 10 years and there was something so horrible about you and I kept doing business with you and getting money with you and shit like that for 10 years, and then as soon as we part ways, I'm texting people, telling them to bring up shit about you, immediately that person has to wear a big red clown nose and big red effing clown boots because you're an effing clown. Um, so that was quite, you know, explicit. Um but seemingly calling out Leanne for, you know, if she had a problem with Jesse the whole time they were in Little Mix, why is she only bringing it up now? There's more back and forth. There is Leanne uh, speaking at her 30th birthday party, doing a little speech saying how, you know, she knows her character. The people who know her know her character. It seemed maybe a little bit aimed at this. Uh, Jesse's like sister has called Leanne a bully and defended her. It's really, really messy. And, ultimately leaves me a bit sad like for a lot of Mm -hmm. reasons um number one I just like don't like this as the legacy of Little Mix they're obviously a very important band to a lot like a certain generation and this isn't a fun place to be in from the outside at least it looked like these four women had been friends for like 10 years and I mean at the very least they went through a life-changing experience together so it's not nice to think that they've fallen out um and I do feel for Jessie. Like, she's someone that I don't think we should pile on. She's clearly a vulnerable person. And I was actually, like, a little bit apprehensive about doing this episode. I mean, not that we've got, like, millions of viewers and that we're personal <laughs> listeners. Why do I keep calling them viewers? Not that we've got millions <laughs> of listeners and that Jessie uh, will be terribly upset by this. But I, I don't believe she should be piled on because she is a vulnerable person person you know who has been relentlessly cyber bullied and has a lot of her own demons to deal with but blackfishing isn't acceptable and it seems like her actions have hurt leanne who is a black woman a lot and i don't think that should be ignored um the problem with blackfishing and the prevalence of it in our in, in this current moment isn't really something for me to educate people on that's not really my place but raven smith wrote a great article for british vogue about this specific incident um and they were really sensitive to jesse's vulnerability but really points out that black fishing should not be ignored and really shouldn't be something that we we stand for so i think that was a really balanced take but of course um the emotions that anyone wants to feel regarding this are completely valid just a, a messy situation all around and I really hope that um, everyone can get the healing and the help they mm. need from it and feel better going forward and I hope Harry's dog is okay I've been thinking about them a lot um, you know, <laughs> I hope their Instagram is still going on successfully Alrighty then, that brings us to the end of another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. Uh, Micah, what will you be up to in November? Do you want to share? I'll be visiting you. Yay! We're gonna be reunited and it's gonna be so good. I'm so freaking excited. I wish to find more. (laughs) 
oh, it's going to be so fun. We're going to live it up in New York together. Um, we'll try and maybe record some little clips here. Mm-hmm. We've done that before, so we can mm-hmm. slot them into an episode. And then you've already had Canadian Thanksgiving, right? We have already had Canadian okay. Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Ours is November, so that will be my other thing to do in November. Exciting. Yeah. An exciting month ahead. If you want to keep up with our adventures, we'll definitely be posting some to the podcast Instagram. And we have mentioned posts we'll be putting up there um, throughout this episode. That is at DTCBS podcast. Um, you can find me on Instagram as at Yasmin Lomax. Micah, what you if you want to stalk on- you? Oh, you can find me um, at Micah Han on Instagram. And Twitter? My Twitter might be going uh, private soon. So, Ooh, look at her. Sneaky. Well, at least Stephen Garza from Boy State will be still able to follow you. Yes. He's, he's part of the fold. Anyway, till mm-hmm. next time, dear listeners, bye. Bye. bye.